Hello again, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, or close to afternoon right now, right? So are you you a little bit behind me as far as time? An hour. Hour. Okay, so yeah, so 10.30 your time? Yes, sir. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I just was up since... uh, just motivated and excited, you know, which is which is kind of what leads into our call today. But just up since like six thirty in the morning, um, met with my tournament guys, uh, partners in the New York Tournaments dot com business, and we were making these road cases like rock bands have to fill and put all their equipment. So like we basically just wheel them in, open them up, and and set up. So it it saves time and energy and so much uh, so much space. So it was pretty cool. We were building those up and so on. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so cool. How about you? How are you doing? How was your weekend? Wonderful four day weekend. You know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, and um, ready to ready to hit back into it. You know, yeah. um, the sparring week for us, so it's a little bit lighter week. Um, and uh, next week starts the whole new curriculum cycle all over again for summer. So that's very cool. So what, how do you do it? You do like um, quarters or yeah. Monthly? So, so then you'll do one specific thing in one quarter focus. Um, no, no. So the, we, we, I have it down that, uh, everybody tests every single quarter. It doesn't matter whether you're a black belt, doesn't matter if you're a white belt. So you have to earn the stripes in the proper amount of time. Then you test at the graduation time, that type of thing. So, um, we just ended our graduation cycle last week. We were off obviously for the holiday, um, usually it would be a full week of sparring, but, but since we were closed on Monday and Tuesday, it'll only be Wednesday and Thursday that we'll have sparring Friday. I have private lessons. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. And then I don't know, even, I guess I could look, but I don't even know if I have any birthday parties this, this coming weekend. Cause Saturdays are our birthday party weekends and stuff. So last weekend on the Memorial day weekend, if you can believe it or not, we had three, uh, three birthday parties. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it's interesting that you, that you bring up birthday parties because, um, you know, people. I was just talking to one of my potential a potential coaching client, and I was saying, you know, like, you know, the old model is like have a birthday party because if you could do birthday parties, you're going to sign up tons of people. And I have to be honest, I've never really signed up tons of people for my birthday. No. However, what I do do is more birthday parties, and then we get a person here and there that sign up. Um, but what I find is that, you know, we won number one, make money on the parties. It's, it's an actual business. There are people that are birthday party, um, companies, right? That that's all they do. They do princess parties and all sorts of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I remember when my daughter was probably about six, I I think I've talked about this on one of our calls. I paid probably, probably $850 for a birthday party. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I, at that point I'm like, my God, I'm missing out on a ton of stuff. I really should be doing this in a, thinking of it more as not a freebie student. Cause there's still schools. A friend of mine does free birthday parties. He goes, I, I get a lot of people. I go, I would bet to venture. You wouldn't get more than maybe five or 10 people a year from it. And, uh, he never really told me how many, but I doubt that he gets a ton, but anyway, yeah, but even that, that pays for it. I mean, it really does. It does, but why not make the party a payable party and, and you're still going to get that, you know, like, so let's say right. you know, you're still going to get five or 10. And and by the way, five or 10 is a lot of money, right? That's like whatever, 15, 18 grand for the year um, in tuition payments, if you're counting it as that, that way. But, but anyway, um, yeah, we do a lot of parties. And one year I had a guy that I said, you're going to be in charge of parties. And we did 80, eight, zero parties in one year. 
I mean, think about that. Some of our parties are 300 bucks, $500. So, I mean, there was a lot of money generated just from that. And we got some students out of it as well. Sure. Yeah. So that's cool, though. So today, uh, this topic was brought up in our last podcast last week. But uh, today we're going to talk about the life cycle uh, of, uh, of a school owner. And now you, you have been in the martial arts a lot longer than me, uh, and you've run a business in the martial arts longer than me. And so it's going to be interesting to hear your perspective with regards to the life cycle um, of a instructor. Now, there's two different ways we can go down this. We can talk specifically about uh, the, the school owner, meaning the life cycle of a school owner. We can talk about the life cycle of the actual school with regards to uh, the students and how that all works. And so I didn't know, I know at least for the, the school owner, the life cycle of a school owner, I want to make sure that we hit that topic today. Um, yeah. Are you cool with that? I'm cool with whatever you want to do. If you want to pick my brain and, and, you know, and whatever, and then get my opinions and then we'll go back and forth. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe too, let's kind of uh, lay the groundwork and I don't, everybody gets into the martial arts industry a little bit different, but I would say, let's use the 80, 20 rule. I would say 80% of the people that are in martial arts teaching, whether it's full-time or on a part-time basis are doing it because they themselves absolutely 100% love the martial arts. It was a uh, passion or a hobby of theirs uh, that they wanted it to turn into some sort of business, whether again, full-time or part-time. Would you see that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I've, I've done seminars when I spoke in Vegas at the Maya Super Show, um, um, you know, whatever for years. And, you know, I would say like a lot of people are accidental business owners, right? So they, they, here's what I believe happens within most schools. So, um, and even people that end up being great business owners, school owners, and and uh, and end up becoming super successful, um, you know, probably started off where they trained at a martial arts school. Um, they ended up, you know, teaching in some capacity, whether it would be like, hey, Dwayne, come up here and do the warm ups. And then I got my I'm your teacher, pretend and I get to rely on you more. Hey, Dwayne, you do the warm ups and, and so on and so forth. And um then eventually, uh, you know, can you run a class for me, you know, on Tuesdays? And then all of a sudden you're teaching three days a week. And then sooner or later, if the instructor's smart, hey, how about we open up a school together, right? And, um, you know, and you say, hey, I love teaching, sir. That's an honor. And then we open up a school together and I throw you into the blender of a business that that we only have one small facet of knowledge base to run that business, right? It's almost as if um, I knew how to make pizza, and um, I had a pizza parlor, but then my my partner wanted to open up a restaurant. And I said, "Let's do it." And I don't know how to cook anything but pizza. And and you know, it's a it's a major um, educational flaw, right? So, and then a lot of instructors love the the you know the um, respect that they get. They love the students and love sharing knowledge. They love uh, being in charge. They love teaching and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, boom, they open up a school. The, the easy part about opening up a martial arts school is a very low point of entry financially. So someone can open up a school for 10000 bucks. They could even open it up for $1,000 or they could even open it up for less. They go to a YMCA and they get two days a week and then they start getting a flyer and put, get people to teach. So sometimes it's pretty easy, but that's why schools um, continuously are going out of business. Majority of the schools that open, one out of every five go out of business within the first year. Some of them barely last to five years. So would you say then um, the the beginning life cycle obviously is their student first, maybe doing some teaching for their current instructor, and then they open up a business together with that instructor and or 
um, they uh, go out and they want to open up their own business. Yeah. And then here, here's the other thing. I mean, there are some people that legitimately have loyalty to their teacher and they go out and they open up a school with them, um, under them as a part of their group, or they partner up and do a, a, a con, you know, a conglomeration of the two personalities and start a sec- second school. Um, and then there are those that just screw their teachers, you know, basically quit and open up on their own. And um, with no regard, no respect, no, um, you know, reward for their sense at all. And now they're, you know, down the block running a school. I have this right now where one of my old students and not to say we uh, we left on bad terms. Um, not sure why initially, but I know now why we're on bad terms. But he's, uh, you know, he's out actually advertising in my area. He's um, putting up his like literally four stores down from me. He has his flyers. It's almost like a spit in the face kind of mentality. Um, but, uh, you know, so some people do that as well. And now they become their instructors competition or rivals and they hate them and, and so on and so forth. So there's a few dynamics that are out there that really do that. So now, and after someone becomes a school owner, right. um, the next thing in their life cycle would be what, um, I know for me, it was learning to understand and know how to run the front desk and the ins and outs of somebody coming in. Uh, how do you process them in order to, you know, make it right, if you will, and then get them involved in the class and later on, uh, you know, get them to sign up like maybe what a program director spot would be. I mean, that would maybe be the next thing in the life cycle of a school owner. Um, are you asking me what I think they should do to get well-trained, like what would be there, like an internship in a specific area or category to become a more well-rounded person? Well, yeah, I, I, I guess I know that that's what I did. I saw that, man, I was teaching all the time and I needed somebody to be at that front desk. I mean, I, I would still do the consultations um, and eventually, you know, train somebody else to learn how to do that. But that wasn't until years down the road to realize that, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have to do it. I could have somebody else do it. Um, but let's say at least generically, wouldn't that be the next smartest thing in the life cycle of a school owner? I would say if you and I, which we did, and I had to throw that out there, put together a course that would teach a school owner to be a complete school owner at the end of the course, there are categories that they have to be in um, and learn so that at the end of the day, as an owner, they know it all and they could manage their people eventually and, and extricate and pull themselves out um, so that they know the position, right? Um, you don't have to be an expert at every position um, because, let, you know, a CEO of a company probably doesn't know how to make the widgets or doesn't know every facet and they hire people that are professionals in that category to do it. But you're right, though. I think that the biggest missing link to the puzzle is the is the business side of the of the business right so a school owner could be number 1 a great teacher great inspirational person a you know charismatic and teach dynamic classes and but he could be totally flawed when it comes to sales um, leadership, you know, managing people, being an employer, um, and all those other things, a marketer, uh, you know, and all of that. And, and what happens is many school owners, because we're martial artists, I hate to say this, we're all control freaks to some extent. And I don't say that in a bad way, but we, we like to be in everything, right? So um, the biggest issue is that we're not going to be great at everything. We can't be. I mean, so there are things that, and by the way, if you're 
trying to learn, let's say, website design and build your own website, then you're taking all that time and energy away from the, the key, which you call um, the vital function, like what you're best at, who, who and p- what position you're best suited for that will be better for your school. Does, does yeah, that, you, is that yeah you, your own unique ability, uh, because right. you, you as an individual have your own unique ability and abilities. Uh, uh, so you, you have a primary function that only you can do or that you should be doing in your yep. school. And then there's some minor functions that you are, are pretty good at too. Right. Uh, but then all the other stuff you may be able to do, but you should just shouldn't do. And that's maybe a little bit higher level. Uh, I say, hate to say higher level. That's a little bit more down the road uh, in understanding in your business uh, when we maybe laid the groundwork a little bit more on why that's true. If yeah. That makes sense. So, so the, the cycle that you're, you're saying is it's absolutely true that like if I were to take a guy and they were my main person, right. And they were great at teaching, they've mastered that skill. Um, then the next section that I would want them to be educated, be the program manager, how to, how to, um, you know, manage the school, how to make schedules, how to sign people up, how to do the bookkeeping, how to do the rank promotions, um, how to do all of the, internal workings of the business to keep it afloat. I'll give you an example. There are many guys that I have that are great teachers and I put them in the position of running a school. Now I, I basically put them in as a teacher um, and then they go out and they do their own thing. Like for example, this one guy who left me not too long ago, he's going to go out and do his own thing. Right. And he, and he's doing it, but I bet you, you know, that right now he's going, Oh my God, I didn't realize that there were this many pillars, this many legs I didn't do this when I was working for my my instructor. Um, I basically just went in. I taught. I cleaned. I did a few odds and ends, a little bit of marking. I dabbled in signups. But now, now I got to pay the bills. I got to be the bookkeeper. I got to do the credit card authorizations. I got to do auditing, pay taxes. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And that's when people, school owners, become overwhelmed. And they're like, so then they, you know, they, they get overwhelmed and then they don't do what they do, all of it well. They just do smidgens of each and every little thing, and then they're working at about like forty percent operating. Uh, you know, operating at forty percent ability because they're so scattered and trying to do it all. Does that does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I would say, like in my life cycle, it was the teaching, and then it was the the systems with regards to uh, the ins and outs of the office. Then it was sales, learning how to do sales, um, and 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 then it was uh, poorly. Yeah, I don't want to say poorly, but uh, you know, um, the best that I could do because yeah. I guess anything that's worth, like Zig said, you know, any, the best <laughs> anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can do it better. Right. Um, and and that would be managing people. I don't think that I've been a horrible manager. Uh, I, I could have probably foreseen a lot of different things happen before they happened had I had some insight, Yeah, but it wasn't my, uh, by nature, I'm an optimistic person. And so yeah. I like to think the best about people. And therefore yeah. I'm, I unfortunately miss, uh, some, some triggers yeah. that are red, red, red lights that I probably should see. Yeah. Um, and so I understand that that is not a un- unique ability of mine to be able to, uh, to see those things now, but I had to learn that unfortunately the hard way and did it cost me? Yeah, I think it cost me in some aspects. Um, but I would say that's the next thing that, that I needed to learn was how to actually 
manage people. That's where we uh, had come up with our employee manual and the rules and, and those type of things. And you would think that, well, you know, these are martial arts students of mine. I don't need these rules. And yeah, yeah you can show up five minutes late. And uh, no, you actually need to run it like a professional business. Yeah. Um, and that's where, like, I had to come up with that you know, plan, if you will, but that was the next thing in my life cycle. Right. Um, uh, it, it could be, it could be that we as business owners, um, tend to put too much faith in people and we believe that they have the same desire to be uh, like us, meaning that they would take a task on and want to be the best at it that they could possibly be so that they perform to the best of their ability. However, human nature will say the contrary, right? People who are working, unless it's their passion and they absolutely love it and they're bought into it, they're going to do it well and, and do it as a job. But it's not like you and I where we live, eat, breathe, and sleep our schools. You're at home right now at your home office. I'm at home at my home office. I just came from my school. I'm going to hang out and work from home. Then I'm going to shoot off and teach some classes. And then in between, I'll be Facebook messaging and all this other stuff. And I'm in my business 24-7, no matter what. Like Even if I take a break, I fall asleep. I'm dreaming about concepts and ideas of how I can make my school better or I'm worried about issues and business and taxes in my sleep. I'm having a sleepless night because my business is what I do, right? So um, the one thing that we have to understand, and I think I'm learning this more after almost 30 years of being a business owner and quite and being a quite successful business owner, I might add, um, but I think that if I knew then what I know now, I would not be talking to you from here. I'd probably be in Fiji in some mansion somewhere because right. there was a lot of lost income and mistakes made and good people that I lost because they didn't feel appreciated because I didn't know what they were thinking and, and all this stuff. Um, however, um, I'm learning now that the key to success, especially when managing people, is training and diligence about staying on top of their training so that they actually own and know the task that they're supposed to perform inside and out and to the best of their abilities, right? Because um, if they're not sure and it's only like they're good for a period of time and then they get off path, they'll forget exactly all the good habits that they learn and then they'll go back to what is natural to them. So uh, John Gason, a good friend of mine who trains with the uh, Hoist Gracie, um, Said to, said to me that Hoist said to him, and he did it in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu accent, which I won't attempt, but he said that, um, Hoist said you know, to John, when you teach the choke, you teach it once and then just let them practice and then you move on and never do it again. He says, no, we, we teach it again, we correct it, we teach it, we adapt to it, we stay on top of it, we look at certain angles. So he said, I bet you're on top of the choke forever, right? He says, yeah. He says, why don't you do that with your employees? And, and I'm like, holy mackerel, that was a really big epiphany for me. And I just set up a phone system. Kenny Bigby, a good friend of ours, has this online where it records all the calls. Well, I was yep. in the system, but I found for 160 bucks a month, I found this recorder on Amazon where you plug it into the phone. It, it records all incoming and outgoing calls. Um, the minute you pick up the phone, dial, it records you. And now my staff was a little uneasy. The first day was yesterday. But we started listening back to a few calls just last night, quick. And my, my one program manager was like, oh, I hate the way I sound. I can't believe I said um that much. Oh, I can't believe that I was stammering and stuttering as much as I did. I didn't realize that. And um, I'm like, well, this is where now we write a note and say you shouldn't say um. You should 
going to start recorrecting your bad behaviors, right? So I'm going to stay on top of this because the first portion of our success is the phone. Right. If they're terrible on the phone, well, people aren't going to show. If they don't sound professional, people are going to go, I'm going somewhere else. I just spoke to someone who sounds illiterate or couldn't get a complete sentence in. So it's all about continual training, continual monitoring and working and so on and so forth. So that's some of the stuff. But I think that our our framework of our talk was going in a little bit different direction because you and I, you know me, right? Like um, with all these struggles that we're talking about now, I've, I went through a period of burnout, right? Like I had an employee hurt me and, you know, steal students and leave. Um, parents that were there were negative and they were frustrating me every day. They made it where my happy place, my home away from home, my, my love of my life, my mistress, so to speak, um, no longer was something that I wanted to be around. I was thinking every day of a strategy to get out. Sell my buildings, sell my businesses, liquidate all my assets, take all my money, which could be a lot of money if I sell it all, and and then just go move down to Florida with my fiance and just relax and enjoy Florida, right? Um, but then I said, you know what? I, I want to make sure I make this work. And and sooner or later, those people that had left and the people who took them with him um, inspired me to be even better than I was, to teach more often. And then when the negativity was gone. Um, I started seeing things that made me feel like I used to feel again. Like, you know, when people admired you and, and revered you and were thankful for you and enjoyed having you there. Like, I'll give you an example. Last night, I taught at my East Isop location, and all of the moms were waiting at the door for the class with their kids for me to come out from the prior class. And by the way, I had this two-year-old, yes, a two-year-old that I signed up yesterday, who was a genius. Like, I swear, I said, make a punch, put your thumb on the outside, and do one, two. He's like... Mm-hmm. And boom, boom, he hit a one, two. Then I taught him a front kick. Within like a 30-minute class, he was doing zigzag, running in and out of obstacle courses, one, two punches, front kicks. Um, it was so cool. Um, and then I come out, and there's moms there, and they're like, oh, my God, my kids are so excited. They saw your car was here. And they're like, Sheon is here. And the kids were like, that used to be a, you know, a year and a half ago where I'd come out to that negative environment with those negative people who were in my school. I don't know why, maybe just to make my life miserable, complaining about everything I did. And I'd come out and not want to be there. I'd see them and I was in a bad mood, right? Other good parents would feel my negative energy because those people were making me feel uncomfortable in my own home. Now I come out and they're like, oh my God, the kids love you. They're so excited. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm inspired to be at my school again. And I have this new fire and new love for something. It's almost like, um, you know, I, I had a marriage and we went through some really bad times. And then all of a sudden we really found what made us stay connected again. My mistress, my martial arts school and I, and, um, and when I say mistress, because I, you know, it's, it's another love that you have away right. from their family love. Um, and by the way, some school owners suffer with that because their, their, their wives or spouses go like, you spend all the time at the school. You only talk about the school. All you care about is the school and they have no balance, which I'm good at balancing life. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I go there and I'm like inspired to sign people up. I'm addicted to making the school as professional as possible. I'm working out all the kinks, cleaning closets and going like, I can't believe my guys would just throw stuff in the closet that I have and not clean it, not organize it. I'm like organizing everything. I'm finding weapons in there that should have been sold and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going like, what a waste when, cause I wasn't on top of, I wasn't micromanaging. But I wasn't on top of things like I should have been. Even though I was making tons of money and doing really well, um, I should have been more on top of everything, if that makes sense. So I'm super excited. 
Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I, I don't understand, um, you know, why we go through that that cycle where, and I, I mean, I get it. We, you, you, everybody gets burned out in any job. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite normal. Um, the thing is that, you know, we have the opportunity to be able to step out of the teaching role because of the staff that we've been able to build up. Right. Um, and and I, I get, you you say control freak you brought that up I, I get yeah. that because I've even told my head like my head instructor and also um, another guy I would say he's like the sub head if you will but you know I I I've told them I said I it's not that you guys don't teach well but if I step out on that floor I will want to take over right, right. and I said of course in my mind I think I can do I can out teach everybody here yeah. Um, wrong or right or indifferent. That's just how I, I, I view it. I said, but the years of experience that I've had, I'm able to look at that chess table, you know, that chess board, and I can actually see movements happening before they happen mm-hmm. in, in a teaching sense where you guys are starting to dabble into that. You, yeah. like, you're starting to just now start to see those things. Like my head instructor, <clears throat> he's been with me. Well, he's been an employee since, uh, uh, 15 years of age. who has been teaching, right. but, but he started me at 11. He was on my storm team at 13. He's 29 right now. So, you know, he's been doing it since, you know, really 13 years of age yeah. uh, and, and instructing and teaching and that type of stuff or in some sort of capacity. <clears throat> he's starting to get to that level, I think, where he can actually see things right happen before they happen. Uh, yeah. the, but the other ones can't. And, and so that's where, you know, but but if I were to have been the one out on the floor all the time teaching, I wouldn't have been able to do the other things to build the business, like the marketing and some of the other stuff we can get into. Uh, but I would have not afforded him that opportunity because he needed that role that he was in charge of everything in order to uh, start to get to that level, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. And, you know, I have a similar situation because my guy who helps me run, his name is Ryan. You've met him, I believe. And yeah, yeah. He, um, he's been with me since he's 16. He's like 32 now and he's amazing. And sometimes I cringe because of the same control issues. Like he's teaching. I'm going, ah, I would do it this way. Um, and, um, but then I have to pull myself back a little because when I, when I, when I start to take control, um, they, they immediately, I see them all step to the side and just let me do my thing. Um, and, uh, sometimes I have to watch long enough to open my mind to see, like, for instance, we do this thing running through the jungle with kids, right? So they run in place, they jump. I say, watch out for the rock. They jump, watch out for the tree. They duck, lay on your stomachs, watch out for the tiger tornado spin around once, you know, ice storm freeze. So the other day he's running through the mall. He changes it to running through the mall. And I'm like, what the heck? That's not my thing. I, I run through the jungle. We don't run through the mall, you know? And I'm like, you know, why is he ruining it? You know, like in my head, I'm saying this. And then all of a sudden. You know, he's jumping over the benches and he's running in and out of this. And all of a sudden the kids are having fun. And I'm going like, I don't need to control every single little thing. Um, I'm glad that he's using my my idea and he's, you know, doing what we call disguising repetition. And he's actually making it interesting and fun again. Right. So um, sometimes as instructors, we have to watch that we don't control everything to the point where we stifle the right. person have in charge right so so yeah that's cool and the one thing i could tell you though is that so unless you could one fully extricate yourself from this situation pull yourself out of and manage the school from above for instance like a tiger shulman does where he's really a figurehead and he's an owner but i don't know if he's at his locations teaching ever 
um, ever. Like, I don't think he stops in and teaches. So his people train with him. They go to the headquarters once or twice a month, which is mandatory. And they train with him at this massive location. Um, but he's the figurehead. Like, he's the guy, but it's like a, it's a name, right? But I do find that people come to me and my school because they want to have that one-on-one -on -one experience with Ali Albarigo, you know, ninja master who trained in Japan. And, right. uh, and, and you either, number one, have to educate and get people that want to toot the horn for you and go, oh, and I'm not saying this because I need this, but I'm saying that if a person and a student is on the floor and someone says, oh, when she and Ali learned this in Japan um, with his teacher and they did blah, 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 and, you know, his, his, his knowledge and all his years of experience, the technique becomes more interesting. But if they go, here's the move and they show it and they don't build the story around it, it's just a move, right? So if I'm not in the picture, and this is where I had a problem where that instructor gained control of a lot of my students, and they had no connection to me. And even though I try to connect to them, he would unconnect me. Oh, yeah, that's just, you don't have to do it that way. That's just Sheehan, you know, being control. Like, he'd say these negative things, and, and even my program manager, who was left to me as well and went over there, they were in cahoots to say this stuff. So we have to build this 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 uh, culture where either you, Dwayne, as the master instructor, is a part of what they teach as a culture. And when you come in, it's like, oh, my God, it's like Santa just walked in the place, right? Or the president of the United States, um, depending on whether you like him or not, right? So um, you know what I mean? Where it's got to be super important and make you, make you uh, talk about you as you're special, which you are, right? Does that sound legitimate? Absolutely. And and just so you know, you could say um, uh, as a president of the United States, oh. <laughs> <laughs> one, that would. Yeah. One that you may not hate or love. Right. Yeah. You get to pick. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. um, so, yeah, I would say that was the next thing in the life cycle for me was, um, you know, uh, finding that balance between me teaching and not teaching. Right. You know, which allowed me to then be able to go out and do other things with other organizations at the same time that my classes were going on, right. um, which I would not have been able to do had I had to stay there and teach. You know, the other thing in the life cycle, I think that is vitally important, uh, and we talk about this in, in our program that you had talked about, uh, but one of the main pillars is the, uh, the marketing piece. Um, you know, knowing and understanding marketing, whether or not you're, you, you are the one that's doing it all the time because you can hire things out, but, uh, you really have to understand what's going on with, with, uh, within marketing. I, I believe, um, I, I would say out of all the skills that I have, uh, and that I've learned, I would say that marketing probably is one of the most important, if not the most important, uh, for my school, uh, communication, you yeah. know, being a good, good public speaker, if you will, yeah. I would say that that ranks high up there too. But if I didn't know how to market correctly, then I don't know that I would have been able to build the school up to where we were at today. And, and, and what do I mean by marketing? I don't just mean the ads in the newspaper and online and those type of things. There is a, uh, a marketing piece inside of your quote unquote referral program type thing uh, that needs to happen. Because I think that marketing in, is, is happening all the time on the, on the, on the floor as well, just not outside uh, external. There's internal marketing too. And there's a bunch of different rabbit trails we could go down, but marketing as a whole, I think is, is 
really important for the school owner to uh, at least understand uh, to the best of their ability, if that makes sense. No, definitely. And, and you know what? I, I really, you know what I was thinking the other day? And um, I looked on my computer amongst all the folders that I have that relate to the business, right? Like this, I have a billion folders. I have three desktops filled with stuff. My, my program a person on my computer says, I don't know how you even manage your computer. But I have this simple folder, you know, A through Z. And then I put all the A stuff in the A's. And anyway, long story short. I was looking through all my next level business school owner management folders. And I have stuff like if I ever died, my daughter could probably say for $500, you can own everything that's in these folders and sort it. And she'd probably make 50, 80, 100 grand doing that because there's so much knowledge, ad copy, scripts, blah, 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 like 27 years of stuff that could a school owner could have like they'd have everything that they needed ever to run a school or get ideas to improve upon and so on and so forth. Um, So I was looking at that stuff and going like, wow, I can't believe how much knowledge you and I have that we could share with people. And that's simply because we've been doing it so long and gone through the trials, the tribulations, the pain, the anguish, the, the, the successes and so on to be able to live and really be who we are. And I mean, to be around that kind of knowledge, there are business owners that would pay in businesses, other businesses, not karate schools, would pay thousands upon thousands of dollars just to sit in a room with a guy like a Michael Gerber or, uh, you know, or a Stephen Covey or, uh, you know, a um, Rob Kiyosaki. They, you know, a Tony Robbins, $100,000, $200,000 to do a speech. Right. Or like, you know, um, and... Uh, that's what we have available to people, right? Like, and that's where, um, but they, I'm saying this, not us. I'm not trying to sell us, but, but that's what school owners also have available to their students. And they have that knowledge base that people don't realize that they're in the presence of a master or in the presence of an expert or in the presence of someone who's highly dedicated and motivated. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's a very interesting concept. So, um, life cycle of the school yeah let's kind of push the uh you know push it down the way here life cycle of the school let's talk about student wise um you know i think that there's a cycle between you know 50 to 100 to 150 and i'm using round numbers but can you explain that cycle yeah like with regards to getting you know not what do you do to get over the hump but i mean really there is there are these barriers that are actually really there, you know? Yeah. I, I actually did a seminar for member solutions, a billing company, maybe about 15, 18 years ago called, called levels. Right. And, um, I went through these levels. You went through these levels. Everyone goes through these levels or some people get stuck at levels. I call them sticking points. Right. So, um, zero to 25, right? And then 25 to 50, and then 50 to 75. They're all these like 25 student, 150 student increments, right? And I found that there was always a sticking point. So I hit the 25 and I got to 35. And then I dropped down to 30 and I get 38. And then I dropped down to 30 and, and I get these sticking points in and out of what I do. And in between where we were, where um, I was able to understand that uh, I had to do something differently, something uniquely different to grow to the 75. Like I got really good at managing 30 people. 
But then I needed to learn the things to do to manage 50 people. And then I needed to learn how to market differently because I had to keep the flow of students coming in to try out classes and to hit the 75 and to maintain them. Not only maintain them, but to communicate with them and their families and motivate the families because, you know, zero to 30, you know everybody's name, you know everyone's family, they do everything that you want to do. It's a closely knit little group, you know, you hang out, you talk, you're, you know, and then it grows a little and people start seeing there's a little bit of separation between you and them and you have to yep. Other things in place to have a more of a, a, a dynamic communication. And, you know, and as you get bigger, let's say we jump to 150. Now it's 150 students. You're not always seeing every student. You're not communicating with every parent. They may just come in and out and train. Um, they're not fully engaged. And you have to start putting things in place for each level to be able to get past these sticking points. And um, that's difficult. Sometimes people don't realize how to do that. And, you know, and it's really all about. Um, you know, uh, knowing where you're stuck. Sometimes people don't get that. They just think, oh, I just got to market more. Well, you've been at 100 students or 150 students forever. What do you do to get past that? You know, what's the model? What's the method? What's the, you know, what are the things you're going to implement? Well, yeah. And being before that, you got to understand what's the constraint that's holding me back. Right. You know, because once you remove that bottleneck, that constraint, um, the flow obviously can happen. And there may not be much that you have to do. Yeah. It just could be removing that constraint. But on top of that, it might have to be, like you said, remove the constraint and add X, Y, or Z in order to uh, alleviate uh, you know, that from ever happening again. Yeah. Um, but then as you get up to 200, there's going to be another constraint or constraints that are choking your business from growing over 200 students and they're, you know, and, and on, on onward and upward. But I like what you said with regards to the fact that, you know, I have to learn how to manage 30 students and then I have to learn how to manage 60 and then a hundred. And because that is, uh, that really is um, important. And, and then on top of that, not only are you managing 150 students, but now you're also managing, you know, five instructors or whatever the number is in order to be able to manage those 150 students, because that is a, uh, an art in and of itself, if you will, to be able to communicate to those five instructors to teach them how to teach those 150 students and plus, you know, yourself as well. Yeah. And you know what? I love a few words that you used and I'm going to hang on to those words, constraints, right? You know, the managing portion. And, you know, I just, when you were talking about it, you got to learn how to manage, you know, 30 students, but also maybe five employees, right? So like, let's say a company um, built widgets and they, you know, was they doing it out of their garage. Now they have so many orders that they have to go to a warehouse and hire three people that all of a sudden things to take off. And now they have 50 people working for them. Each step that you do, and if you don't do it correctly, could create a whole new whirlwind of, of annoyance and pain and, and mistakes and lost revenue and all this stuff. If you don't know what you're doing and it's called growing pains, but if you grow and you want to go grow by the school of hard knocks, you're probably going to lose a lot of money, make a lot of mistakes. So at that point, I suggest going to someone who's done it, learn from someone who's been there, learn from someone who's built, you know, and broken the 30, broken the 50. Maybe you like, there's a lot of people there like um, they're, you know, they somehow by osmosis, they were just lucky they got 300 students in their school. And sometimes now they become coaches because look at me, I got 300 students, I'm a coach, they say, right? And then all of a sudden I go, but that school's only been open for two years. Show me it after five. Are they going to 
maybe that was a luck of the draw, and now they're going to go. And a lot of those schools, three, four, I have a guy in my area, he, people were running to see how great he was doing. Oh, my God. He had five, 400 students. He opened up. He was six or eight months in. Um, all the karate schools wanted to know why. They're all coming to him and talking to him. And then he opened up a second location. Lo and behold, five, eight years later, he's out of business, gone. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would go to a guy who has longevity if you're going to train and learn from them, 20 years experience, 15 years experience, someone who's been through the struggles and so on. But I love the constraints, and we talk about anchors, right? There are things that personally may hold us back. Like, for instance, um, you and I hear this all the time. Hey, hey, Joe Karate Guy, you should do this. Oh, no, that'll never work in my area. My master doesn't allow me to do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I, I you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, they have a lot of these anchors, these constraints, these limitations built into their head where unless they get rid of those, they break them, they overcome them, they're never going to get past where they're at right now. And very, very, quite frankly, a lot of school owners will be stuck forever in their little spot that they're in. And that's fine if that's where they want to be. Right. Um, but um, if they if they complain about being there and wanting to grow, they have to let go of all the things that are holding them back. And those are big points that you made. And I would I would say that, and I've said this before on podcasts, but uh, you only your school only grow as much as you grow. And the problem is, you you yourself need to figure out what what is it in me that could be holding it back because yeah. it, it could be not even the systems that are in your school. The systems could actually be there to house three hundred students, right? Um, but you yourself aren't ready for those three hundred. And I'm gonna, and I already brought this up, but let me go back to what you said with regards to 30 students, you're right. Um, you know, 30 managing 30 students are easy, but you're not just managing 30 students. Cause if, if each of them have two parents, now you're managing 90 people. Right. And so it, it, there's, there's a multiplication that actually happens as you grow. So again, you have 150 students, let's say you're not managing just 150 people. If they have, you know, uh, two parents, you're, you're managing, you know, even if not all of them have 200 par- or two parents, you know, you're managing at least 300, 350 people. Yeah. You know? So you, that but, has to be taken in consideration. And by the way, I might add, you may be managing three people from a family, the kid, the mother, and the father with three distinct desires, goals, and personalities. Like, for instance, I signed this two-year-old up yesterday, and the mother was like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. But my husband, he's not at all for this. And I'm like, um, he's like, but he's, he, he thinks he's too young, and he shouldn't be doing karate. He's not going to learn anything, and yada, 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 yada. And um, so I, I got to now meet this father and, and, and overcome those barriers and get him. Win him over. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the mom was into it. She's like, right away, sign me up. This is amazing. So now when I meet the dad, I got to get him on the same page. But so, you know, you have like all this dynamic, these dynamics going on within a school. Um, and uh, sometimes it's difficult, right? Well, what, what do you have to your benefit with regards to this specific one is uh, you were what, two or three when you started anyways? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my daughter was with me last night and she started at 20 months. So I'm like, look at her. She's 19. She's the light of my life. She's a genius. Um, she's in the kitchen listening. So I know I'm just saying <laughs> And, uh, you know, she's so smart and she actually is doing a summer course, which I told her to take off. Why are you going to do college during the summer? But she's doing an online course. Um, but anyway, so that was my selling point to this parent. Look, you, your kid could grow up to be like her. Um, and it's very easy to sell someone when they see a respectful, young good product. product of what you've grown. Um, but anyway, I go back to our, our motivation. Like, I think that, too, 
um, we have to be so inherently excited about what we do that it literally spills out of us when it comes to the, you know, talking to people, right? Like, for example, my program manager, maybe, and I'm not saying they do this, but they might be like, yeah, so if you want to join, I mean, this is a really great program. It's, you know, it's, it's the master instructor, Sean Alley, you know, tw- 50 years of experience. And, you know, he's really awesome. And, yeah. You know, and, and, and then it's like, where's the motivation, right? Like, so like me, I'm like, I'm there, like, you know, yeah, you should come and join my school. A little, you know, high-fiving people, you know, talking to the adults. You, you know, you're a dad. Why don't you join, man? You would love this. Like, the excitement that I have for what I do and the compassionate, not compassion, the passion I have, um, it like pours over people, right? That's where we, we have to build our schools from the inside out, don't we? We have to have this, the inside, the, this, the core of what we, the nucleus of what we do has to be something so awesome that people want to be a part of it. And I think that's where, you know, effective communication right. is highly important. Um, and when I say that, it's not just a one-time uh, communication thing it is you know you 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 sell them in the intro whatever your intro is and i say sell them meaning that that you get a you get a buy an honest buy-in that they see that this is the thing for me and or my family right and then you have to consistently get that buy-in at not just each belt level but every single day in class you have to consistently get that buy-in now when you and I were on the floor all the time and we had no other teachers, you know, we did that. I, I always told my instructors when I was teaching them that, you know, I, this is my stage. Yeah. And these these uh, students, they're they're the uh, individuals that are in the play. And I got to teach them their part so that the audience, the parents get to see this beautiful show. And, right. and when I say show or performance, it's not a fake thing. It's a no. real thing. But they... Right. And that's how, uh, you know, I tried to get the buy-in on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, what you just said is the key, right? Because, you know, if you can't communicate and you can't, you don't, you're shy, um, you know, and you don't sell yourself or, or be able to talk the talk, then people are not going to be able to understand or, or believe you. Right. Um, we had, we had, um, a few, we have a lot of comments today, by the way, Ryan Blanchard, he said, uh, his main instructor's named Trey, who I've met. He's a really great young man. Um, he said, my instructor is the product of the product. Trey is the product of the product. And he started talking about that, how he is the results of what master Ryan Blanchard taught him. And now Trey is that. And now Trey teaches others that. So it's the product of the product, right? And then um, Sensei uh, uh, Grove, he is a uh, ninjutsu instructor and also a a film expert. He's produced many movies like The Three Ninjas Kick Back. And he's a writer, film producer, stunt choreographer. He wrote, I teach a very unique system focused on teaching martial arts to adapt their skills to the film industry. He found it difficult to communicate that there's still effective martial arts being taught. It's just the outlet is different, right? So we have to, back to that communication, be able to say, um, to speak in a way that people get it. And this is the problem nowadays, though. People don't get it. They don't understand the English language as well as they used to. I, I hate to say this. I don't mean to be negative, but sometimes I have to say things four or five times for them to get the point. Like, go pick up that stapler. Okay, um, where's the stapler? Right over there. Where? To the right. 
no, no, that's the left, buddy. Go, go to the right. You see the blue thing. Um, what? Like, you know, like, no joke. It took me 20 minutes. I, now I get frustrated. I walk up, I pick up the friggin' stapler, right? So I get mad, you know, I'm like, what the heck? Um, but, uh, you know, so sometimes communication is, is the key, and we have to learn how people listen. Well, part of the problem is the type of society that we live in today. And I heard this. I don't know who said this, but uh, uh, we live in a two picture, five word society. So if you don't get them within two pictures and five words, that it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, that's all you have. Two pictures, five words. So everything is done in little glimpses, right? I just wrote that down. We live in a two picture, five word society. Um, So, so. We have videos that we run for Facebook ads, commercials on Facebook, right? My one minute and five second videos are, are were getting good play, but then we saw that they started to drop off. So now we went to a 35 second to 40 second at most commercial and we front load all the info so that they get it within the first 10 to 15 seconds because their attention span is like eight to 12 seconds and then they're clicking off and going somewhere else. Um, you know, so we have to understand that, like you said, two picture, um, you know, uh, five words, we have to be able to explain to them or get them to listen in that time. So now same thing goes when we're trying to get people to buy into our, our, you know, buy into, I mean, you know, believe in what we do, we have to get them motivated and, and excited, or we have to, if we have them every day in our school, we can repetitively keep pounding home the same message over and over and over again. Right. Well, and brevity is the is is more important now, I, I believe, than than any other time. Yeah, you know, exactly. uh, and 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 in case you don't know what brevity is, it's concise and exact use of words in writing or speech. I just yeah. went ahead and typed it into Google just so that I could make sure that. But that that's it. It's you know, it's the concise and exact words, whether it's in writing or in speech. Nobody wants to read big long things anymore, and they don't want huge. Uh, uh, lectures with regards to when you're teaching. Um, and we always knew this anyways, right? As martial arts school owners, we always used word pictures. You know, I, I, I talk about, you know, teaching a, a roundhouse kick. And what is a roundhouse kick? It's, it's called the dog peeing on a fire hydrant booger flicking kick. You know, <laughs> how, how does a dog lift its leg to go pee? You just pretend like you got a, a, a booger on the end of your toe and you're flicking it off, you know? Love- and <laughs> That's awesome. There's your two pictures and your five words. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, yesterday I had a group of little kids there. We call them our mighty warriors from like five to like nine years old. And there was this one kid who was goofing around and spinning in circles. So at the end of the class, I always tell a quick five minute story. And I made up a story. I just made it up on the spot about farmers and not doing their job and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, the kids ended up being like, oh, I get it. So you mean like if I don't work hard in class, I'm not going to do the moves well. And just like the farmer, when he didn't plant the seeds deep enough, the plants didn't grow, you know, like, in a, you know, you got to always try to find a way to connect in, in a way that it's impactful. And by the way, that's why I get the following of adults that I have. Like since I started teaching them, my adult enrollment is flourishing. Like I used to have massive adult enrollment. When I pulled myself out, my adult enrollment dwindled a bit, not because my instructors aren't amazing, but you know, adults that are in their forties, fifties, they want to be around somebody they could say has more knowledge or has an experience level or has an expertise that they can take. They don't want to train with a a 20 year old that doesn't really have life experiences, right? Yeah. But they also want somebody that has aches and pains like they do too. (laughs) 
understand. That's the truth, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So we also had um, Louis Acosta, who is one of my black belts, a wrenchy under me. He wrote, I'm, I'm now rebranding myself with a new focus with my help in our school in Florida. Um, what he means by that is at first when he started, because he has a lot, vast amount of experience in the ninjutsu art, but he's also been with a lot of coaches that are in the industry that are very successful. And he either coached with them, worked for them, taught for them. But when we got together, I told Lewis, I said, listen, what is our purple cow? What makes us special in Florida? What's going to separate us from everybody? What's going to make people want to be with us rather than the Taekwondo school down the road or the karate school or Kung Fu school? What makes us special? And it's the ninjutsu. It's it's me. It's the philosophy. My my 17 trips to Japan, my training with a world-renowned grandmaster, one of two ninja masters. Why waste all that history and culture by keeping it a secret? We have to share that with people so that they understand it and they go like, wow, this is cool. I want to be a part of that. But if we're afraid to toot our own horn and tell our own story and share the message of who we are and why we're unique, then we're basically just spinning our wheels in behind closed doors and getting no results. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it actually does come better from your your prodigy, from your student who, who relays that. I I think that that actually weighs more than you talking about yourself. Yeah, but my point though is somebody or you or somebody has to sell the the message, right? If right. If we expect people to get it, and we're not even using a two picture five word, you know, uh, example. If we just expect people to understand why we're a better school, because they should know that, well, no, um, the assumption is every school is like we are. Every school teaches what we do. Every restaurant should be of a high quality, a high level, a qual you know, that. So people just expect those things now. Now, if we want to reach way beyond their expectations, we got to get them to really understand who we are, right? And that's where well, I bubble over with passion about that. Right. But that's where, you know, what we talk about is having your unique strategic purpose and, and right. uh, what that's what differentiates you from everybody else. And if you've not as a school owner for yourself and your school uh, found what that is, you really need to do the work to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, to have your own unique strategic purpose. And Dwayne, it, it is it is a, ma a major self-discovery issue, right? Like where you and I, when we coach people, we'll, we'll have to drill it out of them. Like, who are they? You and I did a, a, a seminar in Atlantic City and we asked like, what is your brand, right? Right, we did that together and people were like, yeah. I'm, I'm a Kung Fu school, I'm a Taekwondo school, I'm, a, I'm a, a karate school. No, dude, that's not your brand. Like, what's your specialty? Well, I teach, you know, and everyone, the buzzwords, family martial arts, we're a family center. Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what is it about? Like, what do people do? Does a parent come in and go, I want to join a family martial arts center? They could care. They don't know what that means. Like, so what makes you who you are? And then how does that connect to the student? What is it? What WIIFM? Radio, I always say, WI, that's just tune in to WIIFM, what's in it for me radio. Right. Like, I could be a master that have been to Japan 17 times, but if I don't know how to teach that and share that, who cares? If the student doesn't get any benefits, it doesn't matter if I've been there 60 times. Like, I know people who lived in Japan that are scholars, that they're the worst instructors in the universe. They can't run a school, they can't teach, they're idiots, they're nasty. Uh, it doesn't benefit someone. So what's the sense of it, right? We have to learn how to get that message across to our people. That's important. So, yeah. So I, I would say that we uh, did a pretty decent job of the, of the life cycle uh, as, I mean, there's more things that we definitely could talk about. There's books, volumes that could be written. I'm sure. Yeah, well, no, we do a two parter. I think let's continue. Like we got up to being, you know, a marketer. 
There's so many other things we could dabble on next week if you wanted to. Do you think it's worth it? Um, I mean, I think people could really continue with this type of motivation and this excitement about who they well, are. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we have our listeners tell us? So on this thread here, just put on there if you want a part two and you want us to go a little bit deeper uh, into this. And, and you know, you can just say uh, yes or no in the comment box. And if you do, we'll do it. If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to write that down. Do you want to go deeper into this conversation? Yeah. All right. I put that on there. Um, Awesome, Dwayne. Always exciting to talk to you. Um, I appreciate you looking out for me like you're like, hey, is the weather good by you? You're a good friend, so I appreciate that. I wish we lived closer to each other. We could actually hang out in real time. That would be, yes, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were there or or not with with the weather, so... Thank you for caring enough to ask. I'm really honored and I appreciate that. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's continue to see what people have to say. If not, we'll just talk to everyone. Oh, Lewis wrote part two. Mark Grove sensei wrote yes. So there's two people right away that said they like it. All right. Well, same, same bat time, same bat channel next week. You know, unless you have some sort of, uh, yeah, Batman, unless you have some sort of problems with your computer. <laughs> still working on that. I don't know what happened, but here we go. This, uh... <laughs> That's the original. Everywhere so. you go in my office here is Batman. I'll tell you one funny thing real quick. Take two seconds. Is that um, I have people when I do these videos, I do a spiritual talk on Thursdays, more like a motivational talk. And I have people inbox me. They're like, hey, I saw your talk on, uh, on the, uh, you know, the other day. And they're inboxing me. So I think it might be, um, you know, something they want to talk about privately. So I'm like, yeah, so what's up? And they're like, where'd you get that Batman statue? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Like it's not about my my stuff. It's not about what I. T- they want to know where the Batman guy came from. They took care gotcha. of what I talked about. So so funny. That's funny. All right, dude. All right, sir. See you later. All right, bye, guys. Take care.